the Gospel of John, chapter 18, and we're just going to kind of parachute right into the middle of a story. Uh, This is a story that most of us are familiar with, and if you're not closely familiar with it, you are probably still uh, even somewhat a little bit familiar with it. But John chapter 18 tells us the story of what's happening in Jesus' life as he is approaching his crucifixion and as he is put on trial and all the different pieces that come along with that. John chapter 18, I'll begin reading in verse 28 in the New King James Version, says this, Then they, they being the Jewish authorities, the Sanhedrin, then they led Jesus from Caiaphas, who was the high priest, to the praetorium. So the New King James Version says praetorium. Uh, A lot of the modern translations will say uh, this is the governor's headquarters. This is where uh, the Roman seat of authority in Jerusalem was. They led Jesus from Caiaphas to the praetorium, the palace of the Roman governor, and it was early morning. But they themselves did not go into the praetorium, lest they should be defiled, but that they might eat the Passover. Pilate then went out to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered and said to Pilate, If he were not an evildoer, we would not have delivered him up to you. Then Pilate said to them, You take him and judge him according to your law. Therefore the Jews said to Pilate, It isn't lawful, it's not legal for us to put anyone to death that the saying of Jesus might be fulfilled, which he spoke, signifying by what death he should die. Verse 33 says, Then Pilate entered the praetorium again and called Jesus and said to Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered Pilate, Are you speaking for yourself about this, or did others tell you this concerning me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. I want to submit to you in your hearing today that the kingdom of Jesus Christ is a different kind of kingdom. It's not like the kingdom of this world. And I pray today that we would submit ourselves to the Word of God and to the Holy Ghost and allow the Word of God to open our eyes and open our hearts to the options and the possibilities that God has provided for you. Can we lift up our hands toward heaven right now and ask the Lord to help us today to receive His Word? Lord, you remember our frame and you know that we're dust. Father, I pray that you would meet us in this place in a special and profound and manifest way today. Lord, right now, your spirit is ministering and moving through this sanctuary. But Lord, I pray that you would awaken something in us. Lord, awaken the spirit of God that dwells in us so that we can have ears to hear and so that we can hear what the word would say to us and open up our spiritual understanding and give us a revelation today, God, of the options and the possibilities that you are providing for us as children of yours. Lord, help us, God, to distance ourselves from the kingdom of this world and to draw in close to the kingdom that you are ushering in. Can you clap your hands unto the Lord right now? 
In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. I want to ask a question to each and every one of us today. What kingdom are you part of? What kingdom are you part of? If I could ask it another way, maybe you've heard it asked this way before. If there were a trial today and you were put on trial, what evidence would there be to convict you of being a Christian? What evidence would there be, material, physical evidence, actual eyewitness accounts, what kind of evidence would there be to tell the jury, to tell the judge that you were a part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ? Jesus in John chapter 18 is before a man named Pontius Pilate. It's been called Jesus before Pilate in many Bibles. If there's a heading over this section in your Bible, many Bibles will entitle this section of Scripture Jesus before Pilate, but it's also been very aptly called Pilate before Jesus, because who is it that could actually put Jesus Christ on trial without his own permission? There's a way of reading this that you can actually very clearly see that it's not Jesus that's given an audience with Pilate, but it's Pilate that's given an audience with Jesus. Jesus and Pilate's interactions, this trial that takes place that we just read part of in the Gospel of John is broken up into seven different parts. John presents the trial of Jesus between him and Pilate. John presents it in a back and forth scene kind of way. And he does so, and he's tying it in with some of the themes that he's presented elsewhere in the Gospel up to this point. So to aid our understanding, I want to I pull apart some of the details for us in just a moment because I don't, I don't for a second want to take for granted that all of us are closely familiar with what happened here. This is such a crucial and critical scene in the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. We should not take it for granted that we understand exactly what's going on. So let's go to verse 28 and let's do this just to aid our understanding if we can this morning, they led Jesus from Caiaphas to the Praetorium, and it was early morning. They themselves didn't go into the Praetorium, lest they should be defiled that they might eat Passover. Caiaphas, as I mentioned earlier, is the Jewish high priest during this time period. And the Praetorium, the building that they are taking Jesus to, is the residence and the judgment hall of Pontius Pilate. Pontius Pilate had been installed about five years earlier as the governor over this territory that was ruled by the Roman Empire. Pontius Pilate, at this time, when Jesus enters his judgment hall, is the Roman proconsul. He is the governor of the territory of Judea and Israel. He was very unpopular in Jerusalem, and Pontius Pilate was known for his brutality. Why did the Jews even bother taking Jesus to the Roman authorities? It's because they were seeking the death penalty for Jesus. And the Jewish authorities, even though they had their own set of courts and their own justice system there in Judea, the Jewish authorities, because they were under the occupation of the Roman Empire, had been stripped of their authority to execute people. 
They were not allowed, they did not have the authority to administer capital punishment. And the Jewish authorities wanted to do away with Jesus once and for all. And so they took Jesus, after they had conducted their own mock trial, they took Jesus, the one place that they thought that they could have their way and see the end result, the desired outcome, they took him to the judgment hall of the Roman authorities, a man named Pontius Pilate. And the scripture tells us that when they delivered him to the judgment hall of Pilate, that it was early morning. The Bible tells us in other gospels that it was about the fourth watch of the night. It was probably as early as about 5.15 in the morning. Roman officials in those days were known to get up early in the morning and to start taking meetings even at about 5 a.m. And their subjects knew this. And in order to receive a favorable outcome to the request that they were making, they would not only get to the to, to the place of judgment early in the morning as they did, but many times they would actually go as early as possible and line up so that they would be first in line. And the Jews brought Jesus to Pilate's hall very early in the morning. When the Jewish delegation got there, this is all in the first couple of verses, this is all in verse 28 actually. When the Jewish authorities got to Pilate's hall, and they delivered Jesus up to the Romans. They didn't go into the praetorium or the judgment hall or the headquarters because it was Passover season. And to go into one of those buildings and interact with the people and the things that happened there might render them unclean and unable to participate in the Passover meal that they were going to have. And so they stood outside and delivered Jesus up into the headquarters, into the judgment hall, and they spoke to Pilate from outside, and Pilate came out to talk to them and have an interaction with them. Verse 29 picks up. If you've got your Bible open, you can see it. Verse 29 says, Pilate went out to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? This was the custom of the Roman authorities. Even if the local Jewish authorities had conducted their own trial, the Roman officials would start from the beginning all over again. Notice that Pilate doesn't ask, what's your verdict in this matter? But instead he comes to the Jewish authorities and he says, what accusation do you bring against this man? Now, it's important to understand that the Jews and the people that were delivering Jesus up to the Romans, when Pilate asked them that question, what accusation do you bring against this man, they weren't able to answer truthfully. Because their problem with Jesus would not bring about the death penalty in the Roman court of law. The problem they had with Jesus was blasphemy. Jesus was teaching and was saying things and was behaving in such a way that it was upsetting their religious system. And so they had brought the charge of blasphemy against Jesus. That's what they accused him of. That's what they were so angry of about. But blasphemy in its own right wasn't a capital offense 
with the Romans. It wasn't going to bring about the death penalty. And so the Jews, when they were asked the question, what accusation do you bring against this man? Verse 30 tells us how they answered. They said, they give an, have, you ever, have you ever given a non-answer answer? Right? That's what politicians do, right? They give you the non-answer answer. They'll do everything except answer the question. And this is what they do, verse 30. Pilate asks, what accusation do you bring against this man? And they answer, if he weren't, not, if he weren't an evildoer, we wouldn't have even brought him here. Well, that's not an answer. So Pilate said to them in verse 31, he said, you take him and judge him according to your law. He's pressing the issue. Pilate's not, a, he's not the new guy on the block. He's been there for about five years. He's been the governor of this territory. He knows how these people operate. He knows what they're up to sometimes. And so Pilate says, you know what? He calls their bluff. He says, why don't you take him and deal with him then? If it's, if it's just a matter of him doing bad things, why, you've got the power to deal with that in your own courts. And the Jews said to him, and here's where they show their cards. He said, it's not legal for us to put anyone to death. And that's where they tipped their hand. And they said that, and in that moment, there was prophecy that was triggered because Jesus himself had said that this is how he was going to die. According to Roman law, the crime of insurrection carried with it the death penalty, and that's what they wanted. And so they presented Jesus not as a blasphemer, but as an insurrectionist, as one who was presenting himself as a challenge to the Roman authorities. Because when you challenged the Roman authorities and you presented yourself as a would-be king, that got the Romans' attention. That meant that there was potential for an uprising. That meant that things could start to happen that was going to cause them trouble. And they had no hesitation in instances like that of carrying out the death penalty on a person. And so without actually saying that Jesus was trying to launch a political insurrection against the Romans, without actually saying those words, the Jews present Jesus to Pontius Pilate and to the Roman authority system as one who is doing so much trouble that they need the death penalty to be enacted. And that's code language to Pontius Pilate saying, this is someone that's going to cause you a whole lot of trouble. You need to dig into this matter. We think it's worthy of the death penalty. They were intentionally vague, but they were intentionally specific enough to lead Pilate's investigation in such a way that it would take the direction that likely led to the desired outcome of Jesus being crucified and killed. They were attempting to secure Pilate's cooperation without any further investigation. But Pilate, again, is not a new person in this role, and he refuses to become the rubber stamp for Jewish agendas. And so Pilate re-enters the judgment hall after having this interaction with the Jews, and he re-enters the judgment hall to actually question Jesus. I would ask the question again today before we go any further. What kingdom are you a part of today? There's a kingdom of this world that's set up 
to take care of the adversary's agendas and to have an antichrist spirit propagated into every dimension of our life, whether it's your entertainment life, whether it's your financial life, whether it's your spiritual life, your home life, your marriage, your relationships, your parenting. There is an agenda and a, a, a system, a kingdom of this world that is wanting to infiltrate the life of every living human being on the face of the earth. What kingdom are you a part of? Jesus' kingdom is a different kind of kingdom. Luke's gospel, when it tells us the story of the Jewish authorities handing over Jesus to Pontius Pilate, Luke's gospel tells us in Luke chapter 23 what the Jews had told Pilate. Luke 23 verse 2 says, They began to accuse Jesus, saying, We found this fellow, this is an extension, this is just an, them expounding. We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to pay taxes to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ, a king. This was the accusation that they were bringing to run up the chain to the Roman authorities. They said, he's perverting the nation. He's got a message that's very destructive to the Roman way of life and the Roman agenda. He's saying that we shouldn't pay taxes to Caesar. And he's saying that he himself is the anointed one, a legitimate king over this land, and he's going to cause problems for you. This would have gotten Pilate's attention. And in John chapter 18, verse 33, Pilate entered the praetorium again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? This is a loaded question. Because no Jew in those days, since Rome had taken over and occupied Judea, no Jew has held that title of king in generations. Because the Romans would not permit them to hold that political title of king. So Jesus answered this loaded question and responds in verse 34. He answers his question with a question. He says, Pilate, are you asking this because you're asking it? Are you asking it because someone has told you that you need to ask this question? Instead of actually answering the question, Jesus probes the origin and the nature of Pilate's question. Because there's a form of this question where Jesus would definitely answer no. And it's the political shape of the question. But there is a form of this question, are you the king of the Jews? that Jesus would absolutely answer in the affirmative. Because in a spiritual sense, in a theological sense, in a redemptive sense, Jesus was the king of Israel. And so before Jesus answered a yes or a no, Jesus needed to get to the bottom of exactly what Pilate was actually asking. Is Pilate asking, are you claiming the political title of a king and challenging Rome? Because the answer would be no. But if Pilate is asking, are you the spiritual king of Israel? The answer would be yes. Jesus is wanting to know which question Pilate is asking. When, Pilate, when Jesus probes a little further into the exact nature of Pilate's question, 
And Pilate understands Jesus is wanting to make a distinction. He's saying, are you, te- are you asking me whether I'm a political king? Are you asking me whether I'm a spiritual, theological, biblical, redemptive king? When Pilate realizes that that's what Jesus is getting at, you can see in verse 35 that Pilate recoils. Pilate says, am I a Jew? Your own nation and your chief priests have delivered you to me. What have you done? Pilate hates being associated with these people. Pilate hates the idea that someone might even think that he has an inkling of what's going on with the religious and theological squabbles of these Jewish subjects. He hates the insinuation that Jesus is making. But nevertheless, if the issue at hand is kingship, then Pilate has to get down to the bottom of what kind of king Jesus is. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus simply answers Pilate's question. When Pilate says, are you the king of the Jews? Are you a king? Jesus simply answers, you say that I'm a king. But in John, in verse 36 of John chapter 15, we get an extended response. Jesus answered and he said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I wouldn't be delivered to the Jews. But now my kingdom is not from here. Two things need to be understood from that 36th verse. That Jesus' kingdom is not from this world. And that the true test of Jesus' kingdom is the behavior of his disciples. There is a different kind of kingdom. Thank God. I'm so grateful for that 36th verse where Jesus stands in Pilate's hall and Jesus knows what's coming. Jesus knows what the next hours are going to hold for him. He knows that he's going to be beaten beyond recognition. He knows that he's going to have a crown of thorns pressed into his head. He knows that it's not going to be very long and they're going to spit on him. They're going to pull out his beard. They're going to lash his back. And they're going to attach a cross to him. And he's going to have to carry that heavy cross a great distance. And then they're going to attach him to that cross. Jesus knows full well what is going to come. And in that moment where he is presented with an out, where Pilate is asking him, point blank, are you a king? Jesus, in that moment, could have taken the easy way out, and he could have said, no. No, I know what you're asking, Pilate. You're asking if I'm a political king. You're asking if I'm here to challenge Rome. You're asking if I'm going to challenge your authority. You're asking if I'm here to set up a secular kingdom. That's what Pilate is primarily concerned with. And Jesus in that moment knew that. And he could have given Paul, given Pilate a negative answer and said, no, I'm not a king. And while he may have received some punishment and while there may have been some consequences, Jesus very likely could have avoided everything that was going to come to him in the remainder of that day. But instead, Jesus... Jesus said these words that are recorded for you and me today. 
these words that pierce through the darkness of the kingdom of this world that we live in and that we battle with. Brothers and sisters, there are strongholds and there are principalities and there are things that set up in our life that we do battle against. There's a spirit of antichrist working in this world today and it battles against your marriage and it battles against your children and it battles against your finances and it battles against your salvation. Brother Holloway ministered about it this past weekend. It tries to convince us that we're not really saved. It tries to convince you that this is just emotion and that this is just hype. It tries to do everything it can to tear you down and to undermine you. Brothers and sisters, there is a kingdom of this world that is doing all the those things and more. But in this moment, Jesus stood in Pilate's hall and he said, you know what? I am a king. You say that I am a king and my kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not from here. I don't know about you today, but I'm so glad that I get to be a part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. I'm so glad today I've got something welling up inside of me on this Sunday that I just have joy when I think about that I get to be a part of the kingdom of God, the kingdom of Jesus Christ that's not like any other kingdom in this world. Oh, when I think that Jesus could have just passed this moment by, when I think that Jesus could have just stood there and said the easy thing, but instead he took that opportunity in that moment to tell us something important here in March of 2023, that there is a kingdom that you and I can be a part of that is not like the kingdom of this world. Paul would go on in the book of Romans and other places and he would write about how people are enslaved and bound under sin. That is a description of what the kingdom of this world does to a life. But Jesus tells us, I have a kingdom. I have a kingdom. I am the king over a kingdom that is not like the kingdom of this world. It is not a kingdom where you have to bear a heavy burden and a hard yoke, but it is something that is different than anything else that you've ever experienced. In my kingdom, Jesus says, you can have life. And you can have life more abundantly. In my kingdom, you can be more than an overcomer. You can have victory through me in this kingdom. It's a different kind of kingdom. What kingdom are you a part of today? We need to know something about this kingdom of Jesus Christ because this kingdom that he stood before, he stood in the judgment hall of Pontius Pilate, who was the representative of a kingdom called Rome. Rome stood for hundreds of years. Parts of the Roman Empire stood for even thousands of years. But the kingdom of Rome and the empire of Rome slowly disintegrated. But the kingdom of God stands. Daniel, the prophet in the Old Testament, had a vision of what these days would look like. In Daniel chapter 2 and verse 31, the king in Daniel's time period had had a vision and Daniel was called in to interpret it. And in Daniel chapter 2 verse 31, Daniel says this, You, O king, were watching and behold a great image. This great image whose splendor was excellent stood before you and its form was awesome. 
This image's head was of fine gold, and its chest and arms were of silver, and its belly and its thighs of bronze, and its legs were of iron, and its feet were partly iron and partly clay. And you watched while a stone was cut out without hands, which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. And Daniel foretold that during that time period of the kingdom of the iron mixed with clay, says in verse 44 of Daniel chapter 2, that in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. It shall break in pieces and consume all of the other kingdoms and it shall stand forever. I'm here to declare to you on Sunday morning that the kingdom that Daniel was talking about when he gave the vision and the interpretation all those years ago was the kingdom of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ has a kingdom that's not like the kingdom of this world. It doesn't have to be passed down from generation to generation, but he himself is the eternal king of this kingdom. That's the kingdom of Jesus Christ. And the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews chapter 12 would go on and tell us that it is a kingdom that cannot be shaken. I'm grateful today that when I don't know where else to stand and I don't know what else I can count on, Brother Burke, when everybody has let me down, when everybody's turned their back on me, when everything's going south, when my health isn't right, when my finances aren't right, when my relationships get broken up, when things just are going a thousand different directions, there's something I can stand on. There's a kingdom that I can be a part of that's not like the kingdom of this world, but it is a different type of kingdom, and it has a different kind of king. He said that stone that crushed all of those other kingdoms, hear me right now, it grew into a mountain, and it consumed the whole earth. I want to tell you something right now that the kingdoms of this world that you're struggling with and you feel the tension with and there's things battling and there's strongholds and there's principalities and there's the adversary and all of his different devices that he's weaponizing against you. Look at what the word of the Lord says in Daniel chapter 2. It wasn't when the stone was a mountain that it crushed the other kingdoms, but it's when the stone was just a stone that it crushed the other kingdoms. I don't know how a stone can roll in and crush all the other kingdoms of the world. But before it even developed into a mountain, while it was yet still a stone, it had the power to crush the things that you're struggling with. If you're struggling with addiction today, there's a power, there's a kingdom that can crush it and that can bring it under subjection. If you're dealing with relationship brokenness in your life, if you're dealing with chaos in your finances, if you're dealing with stress and you're dealing with depression and you're dealing with demonic oppression, there is a kingdom today and the stone of the kingdom. His name is Jesus Christ and there's hope in him. 
I wish someone today, I wish someone today would just ask me how you could be a part of this kingdom. I wish someone today would just get it in their spirit. Brother Dustin, what do I have to do to be a part of that kingdom? I've got things in my life that I don't have an answer for. There's things going on in my world where I feel pressed, I feel crushed, I feel held down by the kingdom and the adversary of this world. How can I be a part of this kingdom? There's only one other place in the Gospel of John where Jesus uses the word kingdom. There's only one place in the Gospel of John where the, king, the word kingdom is used by anyone. It's in John chapter 3 when there was a ruler of the Jews. He was part of this, he was part of this same group of people that delivered Jesus over to Pilate in John chapter 19. He probably wasn't there in John chapter 18, but there was a group of 70 rulers of the Jews, 70 people. There was a man named Nicodemus in John chapter 3. It says, there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Nicodemus came to Jesus by night said to Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, because there's no one that can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, Nicodemus, that unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus was puzzled, and he said to Jesus, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered Nicodemus again and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, Nicodemus, unless one is born of the water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't marvel, don't be surprised that I say unto you, you must be born again. One of the most interesting character studies I've ever seen is on the man Nicodemus because it's just a few chapters later in the Gospel of John in John chapter 7 that this man, this minor character named Nicodemus shows up again. There's a time in John chapter 7 where Jesus is teaching, he's doing miracles, there's ministry happening and the crowd starts to wonder. They start to wonder, would Christ come out of Galilee could this Jesus of Nazareth, could, could he be the one, the Messiah of Israel? Some wanted to arrest him and take him to the authorities right then and there. The Sanhedrin, the group of Jewish authorities, came together in John chapter 7, verse 50, and they were trying to figure out what to do with Jesus, and they're having discussion back and forth, and it's in this moment that we see Nicodemus show up again. And Nicodemus says in John chapter 7, verse 50, Nicodemus, who he who came to Jesus by night, being one of them, said to them, Does our law judge a man before it hears him and knows what he's doing? And when they when Nicodemus said that, they lashed out at Nicodemus. All the other rulers and the authorities present, they lashed out at Nicodemus, and they wanted to have the last word. And they said in verse 52. They answered and said to him, Are you also from Galilee? Search and look, for no prophet has arisen out of Galilee. Now first, 
just tell you that they're wrong. There were prophets in the Old Testament that came out of Galilee. But they wanted to have the last word. And so they lashed out at Nicodemus, who was speaking up for Jesus. Nicodemus was a member of this religious governing authority in Israel. But it says that he is the same one that came to Jesus by night who was one of them. Who is one of them? He's one of the disciples. He's a disciple. He's a a follower of Jesus. And so the Jesus movement, the Jesus way, the Jesus church has a man on the inside as the musicians come. They have a man on the inside who is speaking up for them in situations like this, and he's getting, he's getting slammed for it. He's becoming very unpopular for it. But being part of, and, and as noble as it is that Nicodemus would do that, and as brave and courageous as it must have been for Nicodemus to be in the severe minority in this matter, being part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ is never very long a private and compartmentalized thing in your life. Because while Nicodemus was willing to say what he said behind closed doors in a group of people that he was close to, even if it was unpopular, it still wasn't an out-in-the-open recognition of what he really felt about Jesus and which side he really allied himself with. It's just a few chapters yet later, after the text that we've been in in John chapter 18, in the very next chapter, in John chapter 19, where Jesus has already been crucified, and they're taking Jesus down from the cross. John chapter 19, verse 38 says that after this, after they had pierced Jesus' side and confirmed that he was indeed dead and started to take his body down off of the cross, cross, after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took the body of Jesus. And verse 39 says, And Nicodemus, who at first came to Jesus by night. John wants us to understand this is not just another Nicodemus. This is the very same man. Nicodemus, who first came to Jesus by night, also came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes that weighed about 100 pounds. Then they took the body of Jesus and bound it in strips of linen and with the spices, as the custom of the Jews is to bury. I find it significant today not only that Nicodemus brought something to the occasion that was very, very valuable, very, very expensive, a hundred pounds of myrrh and aloe, spices to embalm and to, to protect the body of Jesus wasn't just that it was expensive, but have you ever carried something that's 100 pounds? Can you do it gracefully? I know Brother Turner can. To carry something, that, to bring something that's 100 pounds, no matter if you're wheeling it, or if you're dragging it, or if you're carrying it, it's a job. There's effort. And it's almost impossible to be inconspicuous. You're just kind of out there in the open. Everyone sees what you're doing. Everybody's aware of what's going on. There's nothing subtle about it. There's nothing sneaky about it. You're just out there, and you're doing it. Nicodemus shows the world that to be part of Jesus' kingdom, if you would be saved, 
today. You must be born again, and you must get on the path of following Jesus. From that first interaction that Nicodemus had with Jesus at night in John chapter 3, to him speaking up for Jesus behind closed doors in John chapter 7, to him showing up in the darkest hour of Jesus' life and ministry in John chapter 19, it shows a trajectory of somebody that started to gain an understanding of what it was to be a part of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. That it wasn't just something that I was going to be able to do in secret. That it wasn't just a revelation of some piece of knowledge that I was going to gain and I was going to have knowledge of and understanding of that no one else had. But it was going to be something that called for direct action on my part. I must be born again. I must get on the same path of following Jesus. I've got to be where he's at. I've got to be where Jesus is at. What question, what, what kingdom are you a part of today? I don't know where you are in that story today. Maybe you're seated here on a Sunday morning and some of you are coming to Jesus by night, investigating, keeping a low profile, doing it under the radar. Maybe some of you are starting to verbalize support for the message of Jesus. And there's things that start to happen in your life, like Nicodemus in John chapter 7. And there's, start, there's things in your speech that start to indicate that you're subscribing to the miracles and the teaching and the ethics and the lifestyle of Jesus. But if that's where you're at even, and as much as I want to commend anyone that's at that place in their relationship with God, I want to call you to a different level and a different dimension today and let you know that the kingdom of Jesus Christ does not exist in talk. We all need to come to a place of a hundred pounds of myrrh and aloe. That place that says what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 1, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation, to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. From faith to faith. What does that mean? I think it means something like what we see in the life of Nicodemus. It took faith for Nicodemus to come to Jesus by night, to ask Jesus a question, to receive an answer, to ask a follow-up question, to receive an answer. And to hear him out and to take it back and, and consider all of those things. It took faith for Nicodemus. to. It, I think it took faith in that moment in John chapter 7. A different level of faith, but faith. When Nicodemus, when everyone else was against Jesus and everyone else was trying to figure out who in the world this Jesus guy is, that Nicodemus was willing to speak up and speak a word of clarification, even though it may have been unpopular, it took faith. From faith to faith. And then there was another dimension of faith that Nicodemus stepped into in John chapter 19. Where no more is Nicodemus willing to be behind the scenes. No more does Nicodemus have to be around the edges just hinting and inferring and giving off signals. But now Nicodemus is right in the middle of the story. The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. We've got to come to the place today of I will follow Jesus, come what may. Because I know his kingdom will not be shaken.
If you would stand with me, I want to ask that question another time. What kingdom are you a part of today? I don't know what forces of this world have called your faith into question. There's some here that are dealing with things in their health. There's some here today that are dealing with things in their finances. You may be dealing and struggling with addiction. You may have relationship problems. You may have things going on in your world and in your life that you find it hard to even put words to exactly everything that's going on. But I want to let you know today that whatever trial you have been in the middle of, Jesus Christ went through that trial and prevailed for you. Whatever suffering and whatever things you are enduring today in your personal world, Jesus Christ suffered under Pontius Pilate and became your Savior. There is a kingdom today that you can be a part of. I would that you would lift up your hands all over this place right now. These altars are open. I want to make